Hi, I'm Ian DeLisi. Welcome to episode 24 of Essential Conversations. You're about to hear my conversation with two of my former colleagues as we recount the day Jeff Buckley came to perform live in the WDET studios. Jason Schusterbauer worked in the music department with me, and Mike Conrad was the audio engineer. In part two, we'll hear the interview I did with Jeff Buckley that day. But let's start with me, Jason, and Mike going back to 1994, what led up to the interview, and what happened that day in our WDET studios with Jeff Buckley. I thought we would take one performance in particular that we were all a part of. For an artist that put out one album, his longevity has been unbelievable, and that's Jeff Buckley. So we're going to talk about that particular performance. And so, Jason, if I'm not mistaken, when that first... EP came in, you handed it to me. I think you said, I think you're going to like this guy. I think I had would listen to a lot of things you before did. other people did and there were kind of things that were like, this is definitely something that you should listen to now. And I don't remember that, but I, I remember congratulations that. to me for doing that. <laughs> what was the EP? Was it the Live at Chenet EP? It was the Live at yeah. Chenet. Yeah. Four I, songs recorded in a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was covers. I mean, he didn't even have original material then, nor did he have a band by the way. And I remember Jason handing this to me, and I did not get it at first. I was like, I'm not so sure about this. And I listened to it, and it kind of like just latches onto your synapses or something, and it becomes a part of your brain function, and and you can't let go. The first time that Jeff Buckley came, he was signed to Columbia, and there was a big bidding war for him, by the way. Everybody wanted to sign this guy. And they said, oh, he'll come on and be a guest DJ. And I said, okay. Yeah, I think we had said, hey, you know, we're really into this. I would call, you know, Ann would sort of say, yeah. call them and see if you can get them in the studio. Yeah. And Jason would t- chase all that down. And they said, well, you know, Jeff wants to come in and, you know, play records. He wants to DJ and, you know, talk. And it wasn't something we were thrilled about. And right. so we acquiesced. We said, yeah. Because we were hoping down the line, mm-hmm. you know, we get him in here once, it goes well, and we could do a performance. And I think we probably were pretty forthright with the record company about that. Like, we're going to do this. We don't want to do it. <laughs> well, you say you Because how fun is, like, somebody coming in and playing records? You know, I mean, it could, that's something that can... Talk about live radio. That could go just sideways. It could be terrible. But why is it that and you it decided wasn't. to acquiesce, though? Is it because of his his father? Was it because of this It was because of him. Yeah, I think you just thought, okay, I want to do this because, you know, we're going to be able to... I think there was some confidence that we'll have him come in and the next time... Mm-hmm. We'll have a performance. And that's exactly what we sort of willed that to happen. <laughs> and he came in, and I do not have a copy of that interview at all because that was done live. And he picked some crazy things, I do recall. But I loved his music. And then Grace finally came out. So the full-length album comes out. And he came to our area four times, I think, within 18 months. Somebody told me he played the Magic Bag. I don't remember that. I saw the show at the Gem. He played St. Andrews, and he did a coffee shop in Royal Oak, if I'm not mistaken. That sounds right. In the I, Ark. He also opened for Juliana Hatfield at St. Andrews Hall. Oh, that's the St. Andrews Hall. Ah, okay, I yeah. got that. I got that. So I saw him at St. Andrews Hall, and it, we were there. Afterwards, he comes down just sitting on some gear boxes watching Juliana Hatfield. Next thing I know, I'm kind of looking to kind of get my head around this guy. He's standing in front of me just on the main floor. So <laughs> tapped on the shoulder, said, hey, you know, he remembered us. He said, tell everyone there. I said, hey, oh, it was really great to see everybody there. I mean, he he had a fondness for. See, I didn't know that. And he Jason had, said that too. Yeah, he absolutely did. He came, when he came back the second time to do the performance, which we had, you know, they, we got them to say, yes, we'll have a full band performance. 
Um, he had roses that he gave us. He gave me a rose. He gave Anne a rose. I don't know if he gave you a rose, but oh, I, I remember. I <laughs> Yeah, sorry. I had that rose for a long time. It struck me as re- incredibly sincere. He really remembered being there the first time. He really, you know, remembered. I mean, I want to say he said our names, but – and that was something – I'm going to digress, but that was something that I thought was – one of the things that we pulled off really well was making everybody comfortable mm-hmm. and enjoying um, their time there to the extent that they were able to. Uh, because, you know, when you're on the road, you're just going from one – sort of thing to the next. And half the time, people haven't listened to the record. Like, people don't listen to the record. They don't read the book. They don't see the movie. And, you know, you're like, roll up, and you're like, what's going to happen here? And, you know, a lot of times things aren't ready. The people aren't there. Stuff isn't right. And when, you know, we put so much time and effort in getting those interviews, and when people would show up, that was all we our focus. You know, there were beverages. There was, mm-hmm. you know, somebody was there to greet them outside the door. I mean, I forgot about the fact that there was no cell phones and internet. And, right. you know, still everybody got there and everybody left because I think they come thinking, okay, it's going to radio interview. Who knows how this is going to go? And they left thinking this was a fantastic time because they had a thoughtful interviewer, professional staff recording the performance and it was a good experience. Well, I think one That's thing that point. people don't realize is that most radio performances are in a very small studio mm-hmm. where they walk in and they sit down with a guitar and a microphone is stretched over and there's not a lot of room and it, it's, it's not – there's no room to really perform and feel it. Mm-hmm. The old studio at DET was very rare. They walked in. There was a grand piano in there. Yeah. They had yeah. an engineer to work with them. Yeah. They had time to sound check and get comfortable yeah. and enjoy themselves. And That's I a think good point. That yeah. atmosphere that was created that mm-hmm. I guess you could say we created – brought a lot out of these performances. And I think that's one of the things that made it so special. Yeah, definitely. I think you're right about that. Jason's right. I mean, you hear it from every musician, every horror story about going to a radio station where people don't even want to talk to them, don't know anything about them. And we really did make every effort to let them know we wanted them there. But when the <laughs> when he did come to perform, Jason is right. When they called, I remember this. And I think Jason came to me and said, Jeff Buckley's coming back, and they said that he'll come back and play records. And I said, you know what? I'm going to make this call myself. I remember that. And I said, I think it was Dave Watson. I'm almost sure it was. He goes, hey, Annie, you know, Jeff Buckley come and play records. And I said, no, not this time. I said, he has to play. I said, if he's coming, he has to play. And he said, well, I don't know. He doesn't really want to play. And I said, then whatever. We're not going to do it. I said, he's got to play if he's going to come. And I, I remember hanging up the phone and I said to Jason, I just played hardball with Columbia Records. He is not coming <laughs> to do a performance at this radio station. I don't know, it was like three days later. Maybe that was why the rose was so surprising to me. Because <laughs> you did play, yeah, we did play hardball. And Now, where mm-hmm. was this in the timeline of it? He was doing the ARC show. So this had to be, it, I think that was in October of 94. Because you came in a... a um, in late October. Yeah. And so he, I think he had been in Detroit a couple of times earlier that year. You guys would deal with everything else. And I would just keep being on the air. So You're, I could kind of see what was going on. Was the, when, you, when we would do these, was the first interaction you had with most of these people when you went into the stu- live studio? Yep. Performance studio? Which is really crazy, too, now that you bring that up. <laughs> It's even more insane that that's how we would do it. Which, but Yeah, because that could be even more insane. They they show up and like, you know, 
they think that they're just doing a, a, a simple acoustic set. Mm-hmm. Most of these bands are in town. So their tour buses were what rolled up to the radio station. <laughs> yeah, I know. And when they would walk in and see the studio, can we bring our drums and our saxophone and our bass player and everybody in too? Okay. And, you know, I'm kind of thinking now that 10 o'clock is well, we probably were doing a lot of them at like the noon hour or something. We do them at noon or just before one when I would yeah. get done. We would do them, but when that's they not. Ex- up. Yeah, we would. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. But I mean, that's the, my point is that's not uh, prime time for a musician, man. Oh, I mean, before noon, you gotta be doing something. <laughs> yeah, that is bunk. I know, but I do remember I was on the air and I was nervous that day about how this was gonna go. And so Jason walked in to the studio and he just said. There is a giant tour bus that just pulled up outside the station. And I think we had to have certain – I think they wanted bagels and orange juice or something. I think we had to get, like, all kinds of things. If I'm not mistaken – It was not the easiest thing to do in no. the heart of uh, the Cass Corridor back, back then. then. No, yeah. there was no Avalon Bakery. No. Uh, there was not all that kind of stuff there. And I remember that we had to have a certain amount of things for them. And so, so I said to Jason, so I can see through the glass. So you can – your studio, Mike, was next to my studio – I could see in and you could see in. Mm -hmm. Jason was taking it all in and Jason came in and I said, how's it going in there? And he said, I think there's a little bit of an attitude. I I don't remember. He doesn't remember that part. (laughs) Well, there are things that Mike is going to talk to us about that I don't, I clearly don't remember. And so they were setting up in there and Mike, you were getting a sound check from them. And so Mike said to me, and so this is before the internet and before... I didn't know what he looked like. So How Mike did, supposed to know? Mike didn't know what he looked like. And I... Yeah, we should have had photographs in advance. Yeah. So he didn't know what he looked like. And he came in and he said to me, which... What, what did you say to me? I don't I, remember I said, this. I, there's like seven of them in there. How do I know which one is Jeff? And she looks at me, dead face. She goes, he's the beautiful one. <laughs> so I said... I don't remember. Okay, any you, you of knew that. who that was. So, obvious who was more beautiful than the other. I walk in the studio and I kind of do a panoramic look. And sitting at the piano is a very beautiful man <laughs> with this gorgeous jacket and hat, right out of like a, a resale shop. And I'm thinking, this is him. So I walked up and said, "Hi, Jeff." <laughs> I do not remember any of that. That's great. I don't remember any of that. And so. As they were setting up, I was looking in the studio, and I'm thinking, I this is I asked for this because I played hardball with Columbia Records. Now here everybody is. And Jeff Buckley caught my eye, and he looked at me, and he smiled, and he ran around into the studio, and he gave me a really big hug, and he said, Ann, I'm really happy to be here. And that sort of set the tone for the rest of the, the day. And they ended up playing for... 32 minutes between the interview and the performances. We did it uninterrupted, and it was great. Your mix on it was great. It was so much fun. Was it? I I always look back on those times and remember that there is an artist that you might think is just okay, and you think their music is enjoyable, but you meet them, and they're such fantastic people. You love their music even more. (laughs) Well, I loved that album before that day. So to me, that weekend, mm-hmm. because two days before was Dave Matthews, Monday was Jeff Buckley. Just a Monday. Just, you know, whatever. <laughs> that day meant a lot to me. So listening to it back, it's emotional. And so I remember this. So Jason, you guys would have heard it differently than I did. So I was in the studio with him, and it was so loud in there. And so, and I can't, you know how you can't hear a mix very well when you're in the midst of it. You know, I can't couldn't hear how great it sounded on the radio. Mm -hmm. 
but the intensity was not to be denied in there. And so he did three songs from the album and an interview. And as I've said to people before, I would have done a far better interview with him now. I mean, there was so much we didn't know about him, and he didn't have much of a career by that time. So there was limited amount of conversation in a lot of ways. And Jason, you you remembered that we were not to ask him about his father, Tim Buckley. I don't remember that part. When the first visit, just the Jeff Buckley DJs with Ann was scheduled, they were really clear. They, I believe they, they sent it over. It was like faxed. It was right. on paper. Uh-huh. You know, Jeff Buckley does not want to talk about his dad. I'm sure that I disseminated that information. <laughs> um, and it was an easy instruction for people to follow. Except somebody. Mm-hmm. I think that she was kind of the <clears throat> camped out there. She was probably the first person that he met besides me. I think I usually was either at the side door or at the front. I was pretty much usually waiting right there. And as we walked through the, the building towards the studio, we ran into somebody who didn't get the memo. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> and figuratively. <laughs> and the first thing she said is, I'm such a big fan of your father's. <laughs> and I was just thinking, like, oh, my God. <laughs> and that was before he DJed. Like, I remember thinking, this is just sinks. This sinks the whole ship. I know. But And he still came in. And saved was, the day. He was really gracious. And During that performance, though, there's something that, that I remember very vividly. I mean, I was into the music. I was feeling right. it. And then at one point, during one of the songs from the album, it just breaks down. And he leans into the mic and he says, I love you. And <laughs> Anne just dripped into her chair <laughs> and just melted. And it was it was such a moment in the studio that could never come across on the radio. It was beautiful. Wow. You know what? I don't even remember that. Like, until I listened back to it and I was like, oh. Mike might have a point there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I will say this. There are very few performers that I've met that had that kind of intensity and sex appeal and charisma to the level that Jeff Buckley had it. And he really did. But the other thing was, he was also very funny. Like We had a great time in the studio that day. That The end of that interview... Where he starts joking around, it was people that knew him well said he had this unbelievable sense of humor. And so that came out. You saw that more than I did, of course, that day. But he was pretty great. When the mics were off after the performance and the interview, they were still fun to be had in the studio. Yeah. The, Again, I think that is a testament to how, you know, the, the sort of the job that you all did or, you know, we all did where they felt comfortable enough to do that. Because even if you have a good sense of humor and you're having a poor time, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. you're probably not going to, you know, be funny. Yeah. Coming up in part two is my interview with Jeff Buckley in the WDET studios back in 1994. I'm Andalisi, and here's my conversation with Jeff Buckley. We're live in the WDET studios with Jeff Buckley, who's going to be in town at the Ark in Ann Arbor tomorrow night. And in our studios is Jeff Buckley on lead vocals and guitar, uh, Mick Gr- uh, Grundle. Did I get that right, Mick? That's Mick right. Grundle on bass, Matt Johnson on drums, and Michael Ty on guitar. Thanks for coming back, Jeff. Oh, thanks for having us. It's good to see you again. Mm-hmm. Um, since last time we saw you, <laughs> you've been... <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Actually, last time I was here alone, and now 
you've got all these guys, and I'm, I'm glad that you brought all of them with you. This mm-hmm. is pretty special to have them here, too. Um, yeah, they're life, awesome. They are awesome. I love them. It's good to have you guys here. Thanks for coming. My little pets. <laughs> Ow! Ow! I think my headphones are too high. I mean, like, when we're talking, it's, you can take it down. Okay. Can we talk? Is it safe? It's safe. <laughs> Is it safe to go back to I'll just stand the right, you know what, I'll just stand right here. i put the, uh, the microphone on. Oh, that'll there. work. Okay. Because I'm a technical genius, and I can do what I need to. <laughs> What's life been like in the last few months, especially since Grace came out? Um, Is it what you expected? Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Work, 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 work. You're work, on work. tour all the time? Uh-huh. You know, always in a strange place. Is that okay with you? Is yeah. that hard to? Is that a difficult lifestyle? Yes, and yeah, I'm happy with it. Yeah. I mean, we. Uh, but without. I have a tendency to be wantonly. Out, mm-hmm. on the wind, nowhere, no mm-hmm. one, invisible, bop bop bop. You know, in strange places all the time. And I'm, I guess, I guess I've, I've awakened an incredible workaholic, which is it's cool for a while. But if it's um unbridled you just end up being a boring old fart who you know sing songs about the road and know oh, the road is lonely and the river is deep and wide and oh the road <gasps> are and, you uh, and uh, but so so it's, it's it's important to balance it with like you know real life back home in new york is this is the acceptance of your music in this album a surprise to you because there has been well there's been acceptance and there's been you know total is it, derision there's is it hard both. to listen to the critics who don't like what you're doing no 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 it's not it's not it's not hard to listen to either really because they're just other people and critics are weird because they their job i mean as soon as they are in their job they're not real people anymore they're people who critique albums and nobody i know buys albums to critique them or gets them into their into their fold to critique them they just buy them to live with them really so i mean it's uh they're supposed to keep their job, so they critique it. And, you know, some people really hate it and some people really like it. But the people who come to the gig and stay. Those are those the people, people that you're doing this I, for. I, I believe in. Mm-hmm. We're doing it for us. And, and, and we're doing it because this is what we are. And, yeah, we're doing it with them in mind as, as well. But mostly just because, I mean, if, if we're not into it, then, you know, nobody would be. But those are the people I believe in. And I believe in Mickey and Matt and Michael. I saw you at the gym a few months ago, and um, before the album even came out. Yeah, we did a lot of touring before the album came out. And uh, I was absolutely struck, as many people were, by the intensity of the live performance with you guys. And it's not just you, it's the whole band that the intensity level is high for the whole thing. It's uh, also the venue, the place is gorgeous. Oh, yeah, that was a pretty nice place to play. But I wondered, is that tough to do every night is every show no. that intense well it well it's it, i guess it is tough i guess it's tough to swim upstream if you're a salmon but you'll do it mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a dopey analogy isn't it no that, that's a pretty good one <laughs> we are like salmons <laughs> swimming upstream to spawn but it's it's a strain and it's especially a strain if if we run into technical difficulties that have nothing to do with us um uh, you know, like some people's systems are better than others. We're like working in lots of small places, and, and they don't have the money or the wherewithal or even the aptitude to like really set up a place for great, great sound. Mm-hmm. And uh, and which is hard because in smaller places it's better for us because we mix ourselves. We and like a place like this actually, and, like small right. cafes and stuff. And uh, and uh, it's the in between stages, like the gym theater, like 
they have a you know like a, a real monitor system. Places that that don't go all the way with I don't know. It, if you get into people who don't know, if you get into a bigger place, you, we can't hear each other on stage all the time because it just disappears into the room. So we have to work off of these monitor speakers, these right. wedges. And if those aren't in order, then we're screwed. What what's how are you going to feel about the time, which I imagine is going to come eventually, that you guys are playing really big rooms? How do you we, feel about that? I mean, you've done a lot. We already of have them, actually. How do you like it? I mean, the fun. whole feel of it. Oh, fine. It just depends on the room because every room's different. It mm -hmm. just doesn't, you know, just because it's big doesn't mean it's going to be fantabulous or, or, or garbagey. There's just some places that have a amazing charisma. Like we played, what, Toronto was the Trinity Center, this church, 650 Is people. that where the Cowboy Junkies recorded That's the, the Trinity <laughs> session? Okay, Heck same yeah, place. I mean, I mean, now I know, I mean, I, anybody could step in there and just really? whip off an album. We were, it was inspirational. And there's like 650 people there. And there's not, you know, it's it's a church, so you're supposed to see God from every seat. Right. And it's totally optimum for music. That's great. Of course, like, you know, I whipped out Paranoid by Black Sabbath as soon as I got in there. Well, oh, that lent a whole new feel to the place. I think they belong in a church, <laughs> don't you? Huh? But, um, yeah, big places don't, it, it's just because it's big. Um, although uh, a huge hall, like, I don't know, huge halls, it just, the work gets lost. And, That's and what I'm could curious never, I could about. Never, I could never fill a place like that, ever. Uh, not this stick year. Around and for I don't. A while. And I don't want to actually. That's you know? interesting. I'd rather do multiple dates in in, in a in, in a, a smaller place. A smaller place. I could see that. You know. Can uh, you? Or, although I mean, it's cool. Like we do all kinds of things. We open up for Soundgarden and Tad in the Milwaukee in this massive auditorium. Four thousand people. Four thousand out of twenty thousand people were there at the beginning of the show, and we've never seen four thousand of anything. Or like playing at Reading Festival, which is like two thousand people in a huge circus tent. That was great. It was intoxicating, and it worked. It, it, it translated. It's good. It just depends on the people and the place. Well, supposedly there's about ten thousand people listening now, so this is a pretty yeah, big audience. It, we totally bombed at the Magic Bag. I mean, and that's not such a big place. It oh. just depends on the place. Det is a big place. Can you do another tune for us? No. Please. Pretty please. Two, three, six. We're live in the WDET studios with Jeff Buckley. He's at the Arc tonight in Ann Arbor at 8 o'clock. Tickets through Ticketmaster, or you can call those folks at 313-761-1451 for more information. I'm Andalisi. This is WDET in Detroit. And it's great to have these guys live today. I read an interview that you gave. I think it was in the Rolling Stone interview. Um, uh -oh. And you talked about cover tunes. And I'm... You've done some wonderful things with the covers that you've done, but you said you kind of don't want to do them anymore, and I was curious as to why. Um, I don't know. The, the reason and the purpose uh, was uh, pretty much my own agenda, and it had nothing to do with making it in the music business, really. It's just, um, you know, abject hero worship and wanting to step into the skin, and because the songs meant so much to me. And I thought maybe, you know, in this day and age, it might be even uh, maddening to people in the outside world that I did those songs. <laughs> so part vendetta, part love note. So you won't do them anymore? What about the next album? Would you do no a covers. cover? No, no covers. covers. No. All original stuff. Are you ready to make another album yet? Ready. I'm, I'm ready to really... I'm, well, I'm, I'm working on it all the time. Yeah. I'm Is it completely impatient and... Determined. Uh, I mean, I hope people don't get too attached 
No, it's impossible. I hope the media and the the wheels that turn don't get too attached to Grace, because uh, you know. You mean it's out, and you know I just want to make another one and another one, and and, it, the, and we've grown so much already. We completely mashed that that album into the ground. Are what you is what you're saying is you don't want them to want you to do another album like Grace? Because no, 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 the next no. I mean, just like uh, yeah, you know. Well, what is it? You know how I, I sometimes just, the company will say, "Oh, that one was so good." So nah, do the, it well, again. The, com- the company is like the least of my problems actually in that in that respect because they know they know that everything's growing and right. the people I deal with are very happy and. And uh, pleased, as they say in the music biz, you know. But you know, they, they know they know where I'm coming from. But it's just like in another interview, I, I, um, we've evolved, and we'll keep on evolving. I mean, like radically, mm-hmm. like radically. And Grace is Grace is a it's just a completely different work unto itself. It's a box where I put things in my past that have that have made my past live in a box away. So you're done with certain things. Yeah, in in a way, but um, but onto new things. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that I'll completely askew or eschew or get rid of, whatever that word is. Get rid of the old things. It's just that um, I like the present so much. How do you feel when you listen to those tunes? We can't. And how they were recorded. Sometimes do we can't. Li- we can't listen to them, and sometimes we're totally in love with them. Really? Yeah, I'm proud of Surreal. I'm because that's the first tune that I ever produced, and that's the first one with uh. Michael on it. Us is a real quartet. Mm-hmm. And me and Michael wrote that in a day. Is there a defining musical moment in your I'm life? I'm Delisi, and here's the conclusion um, of my conversation with Tina Sinatra. I like that. Can you do another tune? Okay. This is Jeff Buckley. He's live in our studios. He's at the Ark in Ann Arbor tonight. Not too slow. I actually wrote it on this guitar. 